And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia here, uh, well, not live since you wouldn't be listening to this live, but at the NFL Combine and in Indianapolis, we are in the convention center and just got through the busiest of days from a Bills perspective. That was on Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday around 3.30. And both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott had a marathon session of, uh, of media availability. They both did the podium. They both did scrums to the side, multiple interviews. So many things were covered and that's why we are going through a lot of it. But the Overall, biggest topic of the week by leaps and bounds because of it seemingly coming out of nowhere was Leslie Frazier electing to not coach in the 2023 season and just stepping away for a year. And there's some nuance to it to see exactly what they're going to do. But the nuts and bolts of it is Leslie Frazier is not the defensive coordinator in 2023. And now the Bills have to decide what they want to do with a lot of different uh, ways to kind of go about it. So we'll get into Leslie Frazier. We'll get into some of the the other news and notes uh, that uh, that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott talked about throughout the week. But uh, might save some of those just to get in the weeds of like the draft stuff for a later show. But uh, but yeah, this Leslie Frazier thing came. Uh, came to the combine right as it got going. They they sent out the press release at 9 a.m. saying that Leslie Frazier uh, would be stepping away, and they did drop the little nugget in there that said he did want to return in 2024. But interestingly enough, it was not it was not termed to the Bills. It was to coaching. So that's open ended. When Brandon Bean was asked about that specific thing, about an hour later, basically said. You know, we're just going to take it as it comes, see how 2023 goes, and uh, reassess in 2024. So, so there's a lot of different ways to to look at it. And I think one of the, the bigger, I don't know if I want to say conspiracy theories, but uh, someone, some people were wondering, oh, is this a, a way that he's quiet quitting? Um, I think was the most popular sentiment amongst Twitter, amongst the, the comments on The Athletic, what, what have you. But uh, I asked Brandon Bean pretty matter-of-factly, if Leslie Frazier had wanted to be the defensive coordinator in 2023, would he be? And very quickly, succinctly, just said yes. There was It was matter-of-fact, and Brandon Bean is usually not the type to lie through press conferences or media availabilities. Um, sometimes he skirts around stuff, but when he is very direct about things, he is... Uh, very trustworthy from a media perspective. So I wouldn't go looking too far into it saying, okay, well, well, okay, this was a way for them to kind of force him out. I think it was 
Leslie taking a step back. And I mean, he's turning 64 in early April. He's been at this thing a long time. He's been passed over for head coaching jobs left and right. And uh, since, since he left Minnesota. So that I think played a role into it potentially. And, you know, just, it was a very exhausting season for the bills in 2022 as everyone knows from, from everything that happened. So, um, but he is stepping away. So that means there is a very large vacancy as to what they're going to do this upcoming season. And I just, there's, there's a way that it looks like it's leaning, but you know, they still have to go through the paces. The one thing about Sean McDermott that everyone has to has to remember is that he is not someone that just makes a decision extremely quickly. Like, he needs to think about it, think about it again, talk to as many people as he can, uh, draw on some, some uh, expertise as to those have gone through something like this, and, and then figure out the means of doing so. So, I know the quick thing is to say, okay, he's just going to take over as uh, the play caller in 2023 and and go about it that way. And that's the most likely outcome, and that's the way that it's certainly leaning. Uh, and the Bills didn't want to commit to it just yet. But that's it seems like that's that's the way it's going to go because it's his defense. It's always been his defense. There have been times where he has taken the call sheet from Leslie Frazier, and, and it's and – it's, quite honestly, going to be a huge season for the Bills coming up in, in 2023, especially since they have failed in the last three postseasons to the point where now their their cap sheet is going up. Josh Allen has a $40 million cap hit. They have to get a little bit more creative with how they shape the roster, and they might not have the, uh, the overall uh, just breadth of talent that they had with the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds are both free agents, as we all well know, but are, are both of those guys going to be back? We don't know just yet. We have to see what the markets are, but it, from a logical perspective, based on how much cap room that the Bills might have, it doesn't seem likely. Now, Poyer's market falls flat, then, okay, maybe there's a chance, but yeah, it, it seems like they might have to decide one or the other here. So because of all that, because of the pressure of the situation and the, ti- the overall timing of this, it's such a weird spot for in the, in the head coach hiring cycle to have someone that, uh, that leaves the coaching staff in such a prominent role in late February, early March. So I think for them, they're, they don't seem like they're panicking. It seems like they're, they're comfortable in the fact that Sean McDermott had been one of the most prolific defensive coordinators before he arrived to Buffalo. He did it for years in Carolina, was the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia. He's done the job before. It's been his defense, so it's not really like there's going to be like a learning-on-the-job uh, sort of component to this. But I do, uh, I do think that there are some legitimate drawbacks to coming with uh, McDermott taking over this huge responsibility like he can do it here or there and take the call sheet and and when he feels like that they need a boost or a little bit of a different uh way of thinking about the defensive game plan or maybe he spots something on the field then that he wants to attack what have you there's a big difference between that and going through the paces of a week the training camp leading up and actually on game day to 
using your brain in two different components to being the overseer on, on every other piece of it, but then also setting up play calls and, and being that guy that kind of, uh, that, that you look to, to give you this creative play calling. I mean, it's one thing for a defensive coordinator to be able to focus solely on that, but it's a, it's another thing entirely when that person also has to coach the team. So McDermott for, since he has showed up in Buffalo has long been wanting to do this overseer role. And that, that is something that was important to him because he didn't want to spread himself too thin. And that, I think, contributed to a lot of his early success in developing as a head coach of, of the system that he wanted to. But I think he now might be getting to a point where he feels like he can take it on. It's just, it's just a matter of, like, how many hours in a week are there for him to do all this stuff? I think that's the that's the biggest drawback to me because he already, uh, admittedly, spends a ton of time in the building. He, uh, you know, he, he's joked about sleeping on the couch in his office a bunch throughout the season. He's already got a, a ton of time on task as it is. And when you add on that extra layer, especially in a pressurized 2023 to get this thing right and to continue this success and get past the Chiefs, get past the Bengals for the first time, really. That is what uh, what I think could be a potential downfall in, in this whole thing. But I don't think this is a permanent solution, which is why I don't think they are overall committing to it just yet. They mentioned multiple times throughout the... Uh, throughout the press conferences that they have a lot of faith in some of the bright defensive minds that they have on staff. And there hasn't been a lot of uh, a lot of turnover on the defensive staff. You know, they moved on from Jimmy Salgado, who is uh, their nickel coach, and I believe he went to safety's coach this past year. Yeah, he did, because they, they hired Joe Dana to, to take over for his role. But that was really the only one that has changed um, over over this offseason. But they have four guys, I think, that if they needed to, they could say, okay, well, we'd be comfortable with them being the defensive coordinator. And the Bills, the way that they're setting up their structure, they did it with the offensive coordinator hire. They did it with the special teams coordinator hire. They stayed in-house. It was Matthew Smiley for the special teams coordinator last year. It was Ken Dorsey for the offensive coordinator um, higher last year. So I would be of the belief that they want to continue to do the same things and promote from within. But a lot of it depends on being able to put enough faith in the guys that they have to call the place. They do have two guys on staff that have been defensive coordinators before. Eric Washington was a defensive coordinator in, in Carolina, and he was also Sean McDermott's defensive line coach in Carolina and has been the Bills' defensive line coach for the last three years in Buffalo. Al Holcomb, who they just had sign on from as a senior defensive assistant, what, followed Steve Wilkes to Arizona, was his defensive coordinator, and then this past year was the interim defensive coordinator for the Panthers after he went back there. So there is some experience there. John Butler, the defensive back coach, who has been with the team since 2018, I believe. He was a defensive coordinator at Penn State for a year back in 2013. So college ranks, but still experience on the job. Those three guys are all options. 
But the name that I would look out for, and I touched on this a little bit in our last episode before the combine even even got started when Matt Perino was on the show, is Bobby Babbage. To me, he is and really has been kind of the rising star um, of the Bills' defensive coaching staff. And when you look at his his resume and how he has kind of risen up the ranks, you compare that to Sean McDermott's, and they are eerily similar. Um, and you kind of wonder, just because, like, you know, I think when you're in a pr- profession for a while, uh, you gravitate towards people that maybe remind you of yourself, and uh, you want to see them succeed and give them a, a bunch of chances, especially if they're workaholics, they go through the paces like that. And to me, that's that's kind of how it's felt with Bobby Babbage, but it's not as though he's, he's being forced. He... He has a very strong reputation within the building. And I'll just go through his, his resume and how it has appeared very similar to Sean McDermott's back when he was in Philadelphia. Bobby Babbage's first NFL job was when he went to Carolina in 2011, which was Sean McDermott's first year. He was, I believe, an administrative assistant or, or something along those lines. It took him one year to, to move up into a a defensive assistant role, working directly for Sean McDermott. Then from there, he went off to Cleveland for a few years and got some experience as an assistant defensive backs coach. 2016, went to the college ranks, got a little bit more uh, expertise in in a higher role. And then as soon as Sean got the job in Buffalo, he was with McDermott on staff, assistant defensive backs coach. And this is the trajectory that Bobby Babbage has had since, since, uh, since coming to Buffalo. Assistant defensive backs coach in 2017. 2018 through 2021, goes to safeties coach. 2022, gets moved to the linebackers coach once his father, Bob Babich, retired um, after the 2021 season. And every single year that Babich has been the head of that position group, whether it be safety or linebacker, those players have had some of their best seasons. So there's that element to it. Then you compare that just with McDermott's sheet. Because McDermott in Philadelphia went from, I don't know if it was administrative assistant, but defensive assistant, and then eventually worked his way up to assistant defensive backs coach, to safeties, to linebackers, to defensive coordinator. So the only thing that's missing from Babich's resume is moving up to defensive coordinator. Sean was, was named the defensive coordinator in, in Philadelphia at the age of 35. Bobby Babich turns 39 in July. So young guy kind of a rising star. And, you know, if you watch, if you, if you were around the building over the past several years, you would have seen Babich um, do, going through these walkthrough practices after practice has ended with basically the whole defense. And it wasn't just the backups and trying to develop the backups and things like that. It was the starters. They were all out there going through some game plan stuff. And it was... And everyone was heavily involved. He has a lot of respect from guys like Micah High, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano. Like I said, well respected within within the building, and has the you know showed that leadership trait to him. And I think he just has to show that that he is ready. So the way that I'm kind of looking at this, this is a long winded point to kind of say. I think the way that they're looking at this is they have a safety blanket, a security blanket in Sean McDermott having 
called plays in this defense for such a long time because it is his. So they know that they can get by in 2023. So this could potentially set up to be kind of like an audition year for all four of those guys that I mentioned. Babbage, Eric Washington, Al Holcomb, um, and John Butler. These are the four guys that they are very high on, and they would like to keep on staff for a long time. But, you know, if they stay in-house, only one can do it. But if I had to guess, I would tend to think that as long as Bobby Babbage shows that he is game for it, I, I would consider him the favorite just right now. You know, that's, that's maybe me projecting he has to prove everything. But, uh, but that's the way I kind of see this whole thing heading just based on what I listened to yesterday, what I've taken in over the years in Buffalo. Uh, it, 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 it has always kind of seemed like that Babbage was on this trajectory. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, but yeah, the Bills have to figure things out from a defensive perspective because there was a lot of frustration from fans about how things ended in, in the postseason and how they, how they were so good in the regular season and it kind of slipped away from them from, from that point forward in, in the postseason. I mean... I don't know that I want to use 2022 as like the the prime example because I do think there was a certain element of the the team just being mentally and emotionally out of gas. In, if if we're being fair, the New England game at which was what five six days after the Demar Hamlin incident, they it looked like the Patriots were about to take over that game until Naheem Hines returned a touchdown. And so that was the first kind of warning sign. And then against Miami, almost losing to a Skylar Thompson-led Dolphins team that was just ravaged by injuries, that was another warning sign. And then, of course, in the Bengals game, they, they came out very flat. And when you, you know, going back and watching the film, you see how poorly they played on film. And it's like you don't see that all that often throughout Sean McDermott's tenure. And it's it's not it's certainly not an, not an excuse, but I think to totally push away the idea of mental and emotional exhaustion based on a traumatic event would what I think be a little short-sighted. But that being said, previous postseasons, the uh, the 13 seconds exit, I mean a very uh, very bad way for them to go out because it looked like they were about to pull through and get to the AFC championship, finally get past those dastardly chiefs. And then the defense couldn't, couldn't get a stop when they only had 13 seconds to go. The, the way that things were called were questionable at best rushing four instead of rushing three, you know, not dropping someone into a pretty key area of, of coverage, allowing Travis Kelsey basically to freelance. These are, side conversations that all lead to a bigger point like okay what happened to the defense when it when it mattered most and that's why there was some frustration I get that but regular season uh and how Frazier was viewed within the building this sense of calm they he would have been the defensive coordinator in 2023 if if he was there so now it's a matter of if if Sean can can get this if if he is indeed the play caller get this whole operation to be able to execute when teams are peaking offensively, whether it be the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and, 
and whoever he's throwing to. Travis Kelsey plus, we'll say. The Bengals, who are just an absolute nightmare to defend because of everything that they have. And Joe Burrow, how quickly he gets the ball out of his hand. Like They're, they're going to have to figure some things out. And with less talent in, in 2023, likely, and in future years, too. So, yeah, they've, they've got their work cut out for them. So the, the, the Frazier news, they're not panicking, nor should they be because they have McDermott. But all that said, he is uh, – they do have their work cut out for them, and, and they can't afford to try and skate by it at both linebacker and safety, which is why you think they'll probably need to bring back one of those guys if they can, or at least go out and get someone to replace them if they can't bring back either guy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And that kind of leads us uh, as a segue to a bunch of the other stuff that, that was talked about because Frazier dominated the news cycle on Tuesday. You know, there were a lot of different things to think about with it. But then when you, you go through and, and listen to, I don't know, the two and a half hours of audio from both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean throughout the entirety of Tuesday, you, uh, you see exactly some of the issues that they're going up against. And, and there were some interesting notes to take away from, from what they said on, uh, on Tuesday. The first thing is, is something we've talked about over the past month or two since the Bills have been eliminated from postseason contention. The, the notion of getting cap compliant, which is not exactly the thing you want to be doing when you're trying to sustain and, and win a Super Bowl, but something you have to deal with when your franchise quarterback's cap hit is about to go up to $40 million. The Bills currently, according to Over the Cap, have are, are $17 million in the red on the salary cap, and that's something that they need to address straight away. They have, they have a lot of uh, – well, they don't have many guys that they could just flat cut. Like last year, they could cut A.J. Klein and save almost six mil. They, they cut Cole Beasley, save – I think over six mil. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but they had a, a a handful of guys that they could move on from and and not have to push money forward. They still did it because they wound up going ham and and, uh, and trying to bring in and successfully bringing in Von Miller to give the boost to their pass rush that they haven't had since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been around. But if they didn't do that, then they wouldn't have had to push so much money for this year they do not have that same flexibility they have maybe three guys that kind of stand out that they could move on from that being Naheem Hines who doesn't carry any dead cap and could be 
$4.79 million that they could save. They have uh, Isaiah McKenzie, who they might move on from, that could save a little over two. Tim Settle, but there's questions at both wide receiver and defensive tackle that make you wonder, okay, would, would they actually move on from those guys? And even with Hines, you would need another piece in there because I don't know that they're ready to trust James Cook to be the guy through and through. So that that is another element to, to this as well. What I think that they're going to have to do, and what I found interesting from what Brandon Bean had to say, is restructures have to be the biggest piece to the puzzle. You know, basically, Bean said they need to strategically push some money forward. And then he kind of layered it into there's a tier A list and a tier B list of things that would happen. What I think he meant by that is the A list are things that they have to do. No doubt about it. And I'll get into some of the contracts that I think kind of fit into those two molds. But the A-list are ones that you get camp com- cap compliant and you give yourself enough flexibility to make a move and maybe a, maybe a second move and give yourself enough room for your, uh, for your draft class. The B-list is ones that if you find some things that you like out there that you need to tap into it, that is when you do that is when you go about it that way to clear up some additional cap space. But you don't want to do that because you don't want to push too much money forward because then you eventually, the bill comes due and you get in cap jail. So the A-list, I think there's there's two guys that I believe are certainly on there and one that could be, that being Josh Allen and Von Miller. Josh Allen, they could save over $21 million by restructuring. Von Miller, they could save over 10 and a half, I believe. And then maybe Stefan Diggs, where they could save a, about $5.5 million if they restructure his deal. And so that would get them to a spot where they have a little over $20 million in cap space to operate. So that's why I think that is the A-list. And $20 million is a good figure, especially if you want to re-sign Tremaine Edmonds, get his cap hit to around 8 to $12 million, something like that, even though he might get, get be getting paid somewhere like 15 16 average annual value. Uh, that might be a little low, but still, no matter where he ends up landing, if it's 17, 18 million per season, then you could still finagle that first year, maybe even the first couple of years, to where the cap hit isn't just crushing you. He would be a long-term addition if if they would bring him back. But so that's why the 20 million gives you that much space and probably another signing, even if you were to bring back a Tremaine Edmonds. The B list is where things get a little bit interesting. And the two guys I would, I would throw on that list, if, I mean, Diggs, if he's not a part of the Beans A list, but Tredavious White, who they can save, I believe, over $5 million, and then Taron Johnson, you throw a couple void years on there, it's over three mil. So in total, if you combine both the A and the B list, that gets you to around $29 million in operating room based on, you know, doing the very boilerplate conversion of uh, – base salaries, and bonuses into signing bonus where you can prorate it. So that that is a way to go about it. And then they have the $29 million in operating room, um, potentially, if they, if they do both of those things, where you could sign multiple free agents. Maybe you could bring back both Edmonds and Poyer if Poyer's uh, market falls flat. So they do have options here, but they don't want to do it too much because, like I said, you don't want to get yourselves in cap jail. So that was the biggest takeaway, that they have a tier A list and a tier B list. And I think that the delineation is, okay, we'll tap into tier B if if uh, 
they need it. And they feel like they have an opportunity to put together a nice little free agent class. I, Bean reiterated that they're not going to have a Von Miller signing again, so I, I wouldn't go expecting that. But, but uh, that at least, I think, answered some questions as to how they're going to go about this. The rest of uh, the news and notes, there's so many that, that I went through, and, and there will be uh, some of these posting on Thursday morning uh, from my eight takeaways from the eight Bills takeaways from the NFL Combine. Range from linebacker and what happens there if, if Tremaine Edmonds were to walk out the door. Um, the, the overall component of how to add to the offense significantly and what are the, the best means of doing so. And, and then, you know, Christian Benford, what, what his future lies. But I was most interested by something that Bean kind of trotted out there. When asked about wide receivers, he basically boiled it down to playmakers above all else. And basically, guys that they could just get the ball in their hands and be able to make some stuff happen is, is more. Uh, wants run-after-catch ability. He wants... Um, he wants the ability to push the defense out of nickel into more of a base set, and that seems to be a pretty important component to, to what they're trying to do. So he trotted out at wide receiver, running back, and tight end, the whole, the whole of the skill position group. And I found it kind of fascinating that he brought up tight ends on two different occasions. And if we go back in the Wayback Machine here, they, they did sign O.J. Howard to a free agent deal last offseason and then cut him uh, just a few months later because he got outplayed by a guy who was a former undrafted free agent from the Max, a Maction, Quentin Morris from Bowling Green. He was in his second year, and they looked at him as probably a practice squad guy, and lo and behold, he outplays a former first-round pick in O.J. Howard and went, winds up making the team. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
So that element is part of it. But it was also interesting to me that when Brandon Bean brought up or was asked about the strength areas of the draft, they're like, he, he just said, well, you know, there's some areas that are, that are good. It brought up tight end, it brought up pass rusher. But the tight end thing is notable just because they, it, they do have a vacancy there. And that kind of plays into what he was talking about, it, getting them out of, uh, out of uh, getting the defense out of nickel and forcing them into more of a base set, which gives them an opportunity to exploit what, what the defense is trying to do a lot more with the overall team speed that they're trying to add. So that's, that's a piece of the puzzle. And I would not be surprised if tight end winds up being one of those sneaky positions. First round is probably rich, but I just think back to the year that the Bills selected Gabriel Davis. They knew, and Isaiah Hodgins for that matter, they knew flat out that it was a great receiver draft and they wanted a piece of that on their, on their team. Because if it's, a dra- if it's a great draft class, talents fall a round or two down from where they would be selected most years from just an average class. So I do wonder if maybe the tight end group is, is somewhere they look to add maybe day two. I still think that might be a little rich, but certainly fourth, fifth, sixth rounder are, are, are definitely in play for a tight end, especially if one that they think could come in and be that, that second running mate or the running mate to Dawson Knox, give them the ability to run 12 personnel a little bit more and uh, really push the defense in a way that the Bills haven't been able to do over the last couple of years. That was that was a lot of the things that we were talking about last year too, right? Like they they hired um, Aaron Cromer. It seemed like they wanted to run some more zone scheme and they ended up getting away from that a little bit. It felt like that they wanted to run more two tight end sets wound up getting away from that because O.J. Howard just, you know, he, he was not the same guy that, that was drafted in the first round way back when. The, the injuries definitely took a toll on him. And so they, they moved on. And now it's, they, they, weren't, they didn't have the opportunity to do just that. And this is coupled with the fact that Sean McDermott, once again, was just emphasizing, really overemphasizing how important he thought the run game was to a piece of their puzzle. And it's not as though he's coming out and declaring that they need to run the ball more than they pass it because that would be flying in the face of what makes them unique. But McDermott on the run game said it's got to be a part of what we do. And that has been a bit of a struggle for them. He, he mentioned how he thought it came along in the second half of the season, and that part of it is is something that's probably been on his mind. The offense was a bit disjointed. Ken Dorsey struggled with with some of his consistency and that all led to uh, that all led to them struggling a bit as the season wore on and they found some solace in the run game, but they haven't had a someone in the backfield that they have been able to trust in a grand degree like it always seems like they've been trying to replace Devin Singletary now he's finally a free agent James Cook he's fine you know solid 10 to 12 touch guy maybe a little bit more if you if you need but 
you want to involve him in the passing game as as some of those touches rather than running between the tackles because the the guy does try to to bust the the runs out wide a little bit and doesn't take what is right in front of him sometimes. So they do need a running mate, and it's it's certainly not going to be Naheem Hines considering they gave him all of 80 snaps since they uh, traded for him in in October. So what what is exactly their play here? I, I do think that running back is at some point they're going to address because a lot like what we just talked about with tight end, this is a strong running back draft class and free agent class. And I don't know that they would necessarily like spend a bunch of money on a running back because they've got so many different areas that, th- that they could go with. But I did make it a point to ask Brandon Bean about the idea of second contracts for running backs. And you know, he, he kind of related it back to the notion of taking a running back in the first round. I'll just read the quote verbatim. Bean said, people say you don't take a running back in the first round. Well, I would say there are guys that deserve it in the first round. I've had this conversation before. I've mentioned some of those names. So just like that, there's even though it's not a thing that you want to do with a lot of guys, I think there are guys that warrant it. Like, this guy is a talent, and to take him out of your offense would be a really, really a major blow to it. Those are the guys you would consider doing that within reason. You do understand that it is a position, career longevity, struggles to get into their 30s. So you'd want to know how, how it's structured, but it's not something that, I would make a hard stance that you don't do. So that that gets the brain thinking a little bit about what they could do. And he was kind of thinking about it from a lens of paying a, a running back from their own system. But with such a strong running back class, the guy that immediately pops to pops to mind is if for some reason Saquon Barkley doesn't doesn't uh, go and re-sign with the Giants. Not to say that the Bills are just gonna absolutely bust through with all their cap problems and and give Saquon Barkley a ton of money, but I do think it it would be at least the way that things are kind of leaning here somewhat of a call, at least least a phone call. So we'll see. Maybe it's a consideration for that late first round area if if B. John Robinson is there, maybe late second if, if Jameer Gibbs is there. Really just depends how the running back group shakes out, but it does feel like that in addition to receiver, because they do still like Gabe Davis. They gave him a vote of confidence. They, they like Khalil Shakir. Stefan Diggs is obviously their stud. And now it's trying to figure out which, which offensive skill piece would most benefit them in 2023 to help get Dorsey more consistency, get him in a better flow of how, of how to call a game, because it was a struggle at some times last year. So it's just a, just an aside. You know, everyone's talking about wide receiver. I did mock wide receiver to the Bills in both the the beat writer mock draft and and in the uh, the team mock draft. But it's not necessarily an open shut case. They need one for 2023. They definitely need one for 2024 because they only have Stephon Diggs and Khalil Shakir under contract past this co- upcoming season. So it's just a matter of finding whatever method it is to to get more offensive consistency and it's weird to say because they have had a ton of success over the past few years but it was different last year without Brian Dable it was just different so whether it's running back tight end more offensive linemen yeah they're gonna they've got some they've got some work ahead of them so so yeah those are just some some of the brief thoughts from uh 
from the NFL Combine. You know, the, like I said, there's more, a lot more uh, little news and notes that that we'll dig into as we get closer to the offseason. The or not closer to the offseason, closer to the start of the new league year, I should say, and being able to see exactly what this plan is of theirs and what the market is forming on Tremaine Edmonds because they still don't know. You know, this this week is such a huge key for finding out the markets on guys because a lot of, you know, a lot of free agents will go through the process and, and have an idea of what, what maybe their market will be. And then once it gets to Indy, it's like it's a little bit different. So that's, that's why this weekend, the coming weekend, is vitally important to see exactly what the, um, what the market is showing for Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer, too. And then going from there and, and assessing where they want to spend their money, how they want to spend their money, what's most important to them, and then figuring out from the uh, – and how that impacts the draft. So plenty to get into as, as we uh, march forward here in – in the off season, but uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. The uh, the Bills are going to be busy at work, lots of restructuring to do, and now they've only got about a week and a half to do it. So we'll have plenty of news coming forward. Here. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Be sure to head over to theathletic.com/slash the Buffalo Beat to subscribe to the Athletic. My name is Joe Biscali. Thank you for listening to this non-live slash live version in Indianapolis. And we'll talk to you next time.